When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Spark London. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across London. For more stories, go to sparklondon.com. Hello, good evening everybody. Thank you for coming on this bank holiday. For the concept for people that don't know, Spark is true stories told by real people all across London, which makes it unique and special and one of my favourite nights out in London. I'll just start off, I was going to tell you just quickly before we start about my journey here. It was one of those moments where you kind of realise where you are in life. Um, I drank a Carlsberg, a tin of Carlsberg on the um, tube here. Don't judge me. Uh, it's a bank holiday. Uh, and I know it's illegal to drink on the tube, but um, I'm a bit of a maverick. So uh, I was doing that. And I was having a really nice time because the elephant, elephant and Castle to here, it's quite a horrible journey. It's really loud. You put some headphones in and have a beer. It's a bit of a tip. It really cheers you up. Um, so I was, and also, I kind of was drinking it quite proudly because I think, you know... Like that way, people think you're supposed to be doing it. <laughs> and uh, then I sort of hang a nice time, and then this girl gets on in a really smart uh, dress. I know her. She's a friend of mine. Her name's Claire, right? And Claire's a sort of odd kind of an acquaintance because I worked for her. I did a sort of catering job for her once, and it all went, sort of went a bit wrong, and we've got a weird, weird vibe anyway. Hi, Charlie, how are you? I'm there with my Carlsberg. Yeah, yeah, no, good. <laughs> really good. This girl, by the way, she was on The Taste, you know, that programme with her. And she made friends with Nigella Lawson. She's sort of one of those, you know. And uh, she said, like, oh, Charlie, how are you? I said, yeah. And then I thought, you know, I need to address this that I'm drinking on the tube. Well, I can't, I can't be a real alcoholic, because if I was a real alcoholic, I'd be hiding it, wouldn't I? <laughs> she just looked at me with these sort of pitiful eyes. And then her stop was the next one. She's getting off at Marlebone. and then she just said to me you've only got one earring in I said I know it's on purpose and she got off the tube she wasn't on purpose the uh, earring wasn't on purpose sometimes I just forget to put the other in because I'm so drunk So hopefully other people will feel better about themselves now after my story. And the other storytellers will shine through after that uh, story of um, alcoholism and not doing as well as you thought you would in life. Um, Very, very excited about the first storyteller. Um, I heard her in rehearsal and it was really, really lovely. Do your best. Give it your all for the beautiful, the wonderful, the charismatic Soraya. (laughs) 
quite some intro. Bloody hell. When Jevon and I first met, I thought we had so much in common. We like the same books, we like the same music. Uh, but after we'd been living together for a little while, I realised that what he really liked was owning really nice stuff. Um, but to be fair, he did actually have quite a lot of really nice stuff. He had a really, really big collection of books, but he wouldn't let me read any of them because he didn't like the way that I creased the spine. And so he would recommend me a book and I would go and get it out of the library. We didn't own an ironing board because you know how ironing boards always have like an ugly floral top on them? He wouldn't allow anything like that in the house, so uh, anything that was that ugly. So we, uh, we had to uh, iron our clothes on a pile of sheets on the, on the floor. But the thing that he owned that I thought was the most beautiful of all was a painting by uh, a New Zealand artist emerging at the time, a young artist called Colin Luxton. He was being written about quite a lot in the music press and he'd won the biggest art award in New Zealand, which is called the Visa Gold Award. And it was a, a large painting of a man's head and shoulders with all this amazing colour exploding out of the side of the head. Um, and it kind of put me in mind of, you know how when you're f having a really, really amazing thought and it, you can feel it and it feels like it's kind of bleeding out the edges of you. And it almost seems strange, like if you're walking down the street, that other people can't see all that sort of activity as well. It, you know, you get that sort of sense of, oh, can't everyone see all my thoughts? And I told Jevin about this and he just told me how much the painting cost and, you know, that you're not allowed to touch the frame because it's made of this sort of uh, chalk called gesso and gesso marks really easily. I wasn't quite prepared for what a big part of my life this would actually become and that, you know, any time he was annoyed with me, he would accuse me of having touched the frame of this painting um, with this kind of like, you touched the frame. And I'd be like, I was four metres away from it. And it would just kind of go on like that. And uh, so my relationship with this painting kind of turned from one of love to one of fear in the same way that my relationship with Jevon turned from one of love to one of fear. Um, having lived for, for such a long time with someone who had such an intense relationship with, with stuff, the time that I first realised that he saw me as stuff too was uh, the first time that he hit me. Um, and I hope I have to explain to everyone in this room what it's like to be hit by a grown man. I hope that none of you have experienced that. But the force was just astonishing. And I thought I'd been like hit by a board because you know, it was actually just a hand, but it just felt so strong. And um, I tumbled forward and my eyes clouded over white for a few seconds. I couldn't see anything. And two things went through my head. The first thing was... I must never, never tell anyone about this. And the second thing was, whatever I said, it must have been really, really bad. After it happened a couple more times, I, I did actually tell someone about it and she advised me very sagely to like leave like yesterday, which I did do. And a little while later, I also told the police about it and they didn't really want to, but they did end up charging him. Uh, there is a police notebook somewhere that actually says that uh, they decided not to charge him because he came across as such a nice guy. Um, but some victims' charities got involved and, and they changed that. Um, and for reasons that I will never understand, he pled not guilty, which meant that the next 18 months of my life were taken up with a, a, a very long court case in which I was giving evidence you know, fairly frequently down at the court. 
I was lucky at this time that one of my good friends actually worked at a cafe that was really nearby the court. So after I'd given evidence, I could go and see Johnny and, you know, get some support. And what turned out to be, you know, having a coffee and a cigarette and actually a bit of a laugh about it. Johnny has this personality sort of like um, five parts camp, four parts bitchy. And so his, you know, he would make the best snide comments about things. And there's something about humour just can almost can give you control of almost any such give you a feeling of control of almost any situation. And that's what that gave to me. And that was really just exactly what I needed at the time. Um, after having, this had been going on for a little while, Johnny mentioned to me that, that there was a guy that worked at the cafe who thought I was kind of cute, um, which was really nice to hear. Um, I said to Johnny, I'm really not in a place in my life where anything like that could really happen right now, but you're welcome to give him my phone number and maybe we can be friends. And uh, this guy did actually call me up and his name was Colin and we ended up going out for a walk. And... Uh, we went up to the, we walked up to the top of the highest hill in Wellington and we were looking out over the city and we were talking about our lives and he told me that he was an artist. And uh, I said, oh, are you very good? And he said, um, oh, yeah, I guess so. I won the Visa Gold Award. And I was like, that's like $10,000, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, I spent it all on comics. <laughs> And uh, it just it dawned on me that he was Colin Luxton who'd painted this this painting, and um, I couldn't help myself but tell him the story of what his painting had been in my life. And he was silent as I told the story, and he was silent for a good long time afterwards. And he said, after that, so that painting is actually one of a series, and um, I have a few of them left, and I'd like to give you one. Um, which was a gesture that just absolutely bowled me over. Um, a few weeks later, we went to his studio, and it was just like you imagine an artist studio to be. There was like trestle tables and boxes and paint everywhere and dust and just all sorts of stuff. Um, and in the corner, there were these uh, four paintings stacked up, and these were the paintings from the series. And we went through them, and he let me choose the one that I wanted. And I chose this one that was like the one that had been on the wall, but there was more colour. It was like this... If that one had been an explosion of colour, this was a much bigger explosion of colour. It was just really, just completely out of control. I loved it. And um, as I was looking at this, uh, Colin said to me, uh, let's touch the frame. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, uh, we unwrapped the bubble wrap on the edges of the frame and stuck our fingers like, next to each other on the frame and then took them away and there was nothing there. Because actually it's really a lot harder than you think to mark Gizzo. So uh, we had to go around the studio and get all this dirt and stuff on our hands to try and make fingerprints. And it was, it was about the fourth time that we did that we actually managed to make a mark on the frame. And as I saw our fingers come away and saw these marks on the frame... I realised why Jevon didn't want me to know that I could do this. You know, that, that notion of actually making your mark is a really profound kind of freedom. And when you know that you can do that, nothing in the world can control you. Thank you. Beautiful story there from Soraya. Brilliant. So thank you, by the way, for filling out those little little slips um, given to you at the entrance with your tickets with a question for you so you can tell your story too. And it says, what was your childhood dream? And this was added by Matt, our producer. And when did it die? Which I think is quite morbid. What was your childhood dream? To be a doctor. And when did it die? When I learned I faint at the sight of blood. I can relate to that. What was your childhood dream? To find a hot, very adult girl I could play with. 
Now, what I quite like about this one is the, the correction in it, because it goes, to find a hot, and then he or she has written girl, but then crossed it out. Just in the, in the fear that to find a hot girl I could play with might sound, because uh, it's a childhood dream, I don't know, it might sound a bit odd. And when did it die? It didn't. I'm doing her. <laughs> what was your childhood dream? Being a nurse like my mum. And when did it die? When they changed the uniforms to a saggy tunic and a pair of trainers. I relate to that because my mum's a nurse too and Owens Park, Manchester University, sexy nurses night. My first week of university, that's what we had to do. I borrowed my mum's pleated brown trousers, didn't I, and the, uh, the watch on the, on the lapel there. Wasn't the most sexy of nurses, but I was the most realistic. <laughs> I'm quite pleased with that. Are you, are you ready for your next storyteller? Yes, you are. Please give it up. Put your hands together for David, ladies and gentlemen. I'm at Heathrow Airport waiting to board a plane to Australia with a friend of mine. When it suddenly occurs to me that I left the cooker on. So I said to my friend, Mick, I think I've left the cooker on. He drove me there to the airport, although he wasn't travelling with me. He said, well, give me your keys and I'll go back and check. But I was living on my own at the time and I said, well, I'm going to Australia for a month. How am I going to get in? You live in Swansea. You know, I live in London. It's probably my imagination. So I got, I got on the plane and I, w I went to Australia. I, I flew to, actually, I flew to Hong Kong. I arrived in Hong Kong, met some friends of mine. And the first thing I did was to telephone my home to see if the answering machine came on. <laughs> and the theory was, if the answering machine comes on, the flat's still there. So I rang up, and it was great to hear my voice. <laughs> and I thought, great, everything's okay. I was in Hong Kong for a few days. Left Hong Kong and flew to Melbourne, met some friends of mine. And when I arrived in Melbourne, the first thing I did, I thought, I'm going to ring home. Could be a slow fire. <laughs> and I rang home, and the answering machine came on. I thought, fantastic. So I spent a week in Melbourne. And then I flew to Sydney. And soon as I got into Sydney, I rang home. It cost me a fortune this holiday. So the answering machine came on. I thought, fantastic. What a holiday. What a holiday. After four weeks in Australia, I flew back, did the 36 hours. And I took a taxi from Paddington and the taxi came down my driveway. And the first thing I did was, was to look up at the block of flats 
because while I was on the holiday, I was thinking to myself the implications of leaving the cooker on, you know, which could have been mass murder, fire, deaths, prison. What a holiday. And then when I was in the taxi and I was coming up my driveway, I saw the block of flats and I saw my flat. I thought, fantastic, got somewhere to live. So I got my case and I went up the stairs and put my case down in the hallway. First thing I did, I went in the kitchen. And lo and behold, the cooker was on. <laughs> and I just stood there looking at the... And there was a chip pan in the oven. There was a chip pan in the oven. And the only reason it didn't blow up is because the door was ajar and it allowed the air to flow out. And I just stood there trembling. The first thing I did, I got on the phone to Australia to this friend of mine in Sydney. I said, Jack, the cooker was on. <laughs> he said, my God, he said, is everything okay? I said, the chips are a bit overdone, but apart from that, <laughs> everything's fine. He said, well, how the hell, you know, didn't it have a device on it or whatever? I said, no, Jack, the cooker was on. I've just switched it off. This is four weeks. <laughs> four weeks in Australia, left the cooker on. And nobody was killed, nobody was harmed or anything like that, and I'm here to tell the tale, but the moral of the story is, don't ever forget to turn the cooker off. Thank you. <laughs> David, ladies and gentlemen. See, I would say the moral of the story is to leave the cooker on. You know, why not? But it does sometimes go wrong. My brother once flooded... I used to live in a Barrett home with my brother and my dad in Ricelip. It's called King's Lodge, opposite the station. And uh, my brother once left two taps on, full, full blast. His friend phoned him. He'd just passed his driving test. Come out, all right, cool, come out. Came back five hours later, dripping in the car park went up. People's ceilings had fallen onto beds. People had to, I know, it's terrible. People had to move out for Christmas. We had to move out. And it wasn't even the kind of disrupt of it all. It was the shame, because it's not a very big place that I grew up in. And people would be like, oh, where do you live? King's Lodge. Which number? 72. You're the people that flooded it. Yeah. I actually once had a conversation with someone who went, I said, I live in King's Lodge. And she said, oh, so do I. Did you hear about the flood? I was like, yeah, I did actually. Uh Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So, yes, uh, don't leave the oven on. Don't leave the taps running. Um, we've come to the final storyteller of the evening. I know. But good news She's really amazing. Please put your hands together, take them apart again, put them together, and make a clapping noise for your final act of the best of sparks, Sarah, ladies and gentlemen. It's stupid, I know, but the sound of the phone always makes me jump. I've lived in the UK for 10 years now and my parents are all the way back in Australia and any time of the day or night I think that this is the phone call because I'm far from them and they're always in my mind and maybe if I live closer you know I wouldn't be so obsessed with this I'd be bored by their presence and the mere physicality of them in the room but because they're so far away I think this is the call. This is the one. It's stupid. It's paranoid. It's not based in reality. You know, they're both fit. They're youngish. <laughs> and then one day the phone rang and it was my dad and he's a bloody grump. I'll tell you that. He doesn't handle stress very well. He doesn't handle normal happy life very well. He's a grump. <laughs> they're now divorced. This is a little, we'll jump forward a bit now. They're now divorced. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And my sister said to my dad, look, the thing is, dad, right? Bottom line, I know your surprise mum's left, but sometimes to the naked eye, look like you loved your dogs more than you loved your wife. And there was a silence. This hush fell over the room for the first time in years. He's a very outspoken man. And he said, nothing. And he looked off into the middle distance and we thought, that's it, the pennies finally dropped. And he looked back at Emma, my sister, and he said, oh, they're good dogs though. <laughs> so that is the man that she married. But, you know, this is a few years prior when they were still together and, and the phone had rang and his voice wavered in a way that I'd never heard before. And he said, it's your mother, she's in the hospital. And I sat in the stairwell, crumpled in fetal position. And it's, the weird thing is that time zone means that this isn't even a middle-of-the-night phone call. It was 4pm in a stairwell in Clapham and I sat there and I remember picking the, the balls of pilling off the carpet on the staircase, just obsessively rolling them between my thumb and my index finger and, uh-huh, okay, okay, what's happened? Okay, right, yeah, so what do they think? Okay, right, it's a stroke. Okay, a stroke. Okay, that's bad, that's bad. And I remembered that my mum's mum, she died of a stroke. And I knew that a mini stroke can be a precursor to a major stroke. and That this would probably be what would get her. It got her mum, might even get me. And I just sat there in the stairwell feeling further and further away. Like I was drifting into outer space. Disappearing from them. And you would think, did you just get on a plane and go straight there? Well, she was out of hospital. She was talking. She was slurry within a few days. And she s insisted, don't come back. It's fine. You don't need to come. My dad said, oh, it's rubbish. You know, I think, oh, the doctors are just making a fuss out of nothing. And my siblings said, we're really worried, but looks like she's going to be okay. And I read a bit about it and, you know, dispelled my own kind of fears and thought, oh, okay, well, 
I'm going back to do a show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival in a few months' time. Maybe, you know, she'll be better equipped to, to deal with another visitor then and maybe I can wait. And it was hard, you know, every minute of every day, every phone call I'd jump. Oh, God, this is the one, this is the one. And as the months rolled around, it came to the time to board the plane to get back to Australia. Even had, like, never more heightened was my fear than on that plane thinking, oh, the poetic, you know, disaster of if she died now, so close to her. But no, there she was at the other end of the airport, uh, waiting there, holding a sign <laughs> saying Sarah, which I thought was kind of funny. She'd never done anything like that. I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's been my dream to have someone meet me at an airport. Kind of lame dream, I know, guys, but I was like, it's my dream. And there she is. So I ran and I hugged her and it was brilliant. And in the car on the way home, my sister sat in the back seat. And she leaned over and she said to me, there's something you should know. And it may not be anything, but oh, I should probably tell you. And I said, what's that, Emma? And she said, they say when you have a stroke or a mini stroke, you know, there's different symptoms and stuff. Some of them are physical. But sometimes your loved one's personality kind of, it can shift. It can change. There's something different. You can't quite put your finger on it. And I said, well, what do you mean? Mum seems fine. She seems the same. She goes, yeah, she's just got this weird, dark sense of humour now <laughs> and I thought okay well she's always been a, a good lady a Catholic lady she never swore she's very liberal very accepting of my friends and of my you know different ways of life and she was was very progressive and a wonderful lady but now apparently she had this dark strain to her sense of humour and I thought well I don't know about that and it was like getting to know this new person right this new mum and this is my this is my mum that's all I got. That's my mom. But now she had this slightly different edge to her personality. Towards the end of the comedy festival, she took me out for late night noodles and she came to watch the show and she said, yes, I like the show. Yes, I like the show. She was very stern. And I went, oh, okay. Well, thanks, mum. She said, uh, how are you going? And that is a question you never ask a performer midway through a festival because I was like, well, I'm so glad you've asked. And it all tumbled out and I started to, well, there's this lady at the venue and I'm not really sure if she likes me. And and I went on and on and on. And the thing about this reviewer that came the other night was he said blah, blah, blah about the show. It sort of went into this rant and, and about, you know, all the trivialities of, of this fringe festival, this stupid stuff that you get swamped up in when that's your life for that month. She looked at me and... She traced the edge of her soup bowl with her spoon. She went, mm, and she nodded and she looked up and this compassionate, wonderful, caring mother of mine looked me in the eye and she said, Sarah, the thing is, life's a bitch and then you die. <laughs> and that was the first time I saw this new sense of humour. And I oh, okay, mum, all right. And she said, well, I know it's harsh, but that's it. And I went, all right, all right, fine. I thought, oh, I'm not sure I can take the bluntness of this. And I realised, I guess I was being trivial. This was stupid. And I went, okay, fine. And I said, look, what do you want to do now? And she said, oh, I don't know. I don't really care, love. And I said, do you want to go home? Are you tired? She went, no, I can stay out. And I said, well... There's a late show. We should go and see the late show. And I hear it's really good. Now, I knew that this late show was a performer, a clown called Dr. Brown, and he's quite out there. He is already recognition in the room. He can be very overt, <laughs> very physical. Uh, for instance, when you get in the queue, uh, and you, like there is all, there's a nudity warning, there's a, an audience interaction warning. You might get touched, that's all I'm saying. Um, when we came in, my mum said to me, it's all right will sit in the back row and the usher overheard my mum say that and said, oh, madam, there is no back row. 
I mean, what do you mean? And she said, oh, he will find you, especially if he knows that you're trying to hide in the back row. So we sat down and we enjoyed the show and it's very physical and there's all sorts of gross-out comedy and it is brilliant. And it's kind of the kind of laughter you uh, experience when you're watching a show like This Guy, Dr. Brown, is very, you know, uh, reactionary, I guess. It's a reflex. You're kind of just laughing despite yourself, you know, at this gross stuff and stupid stuff and he's throwing biscuits and he's licking a lady's face and... It came down to about five minutes before the end of the show and he looked over in my mum's direction and, and saw me. Now, I thought, aha, I've met him before. He might go, oh, that's Sarah Bonetto. I won't bother her. She's obviously you know, here with her mum. That's another performer. Could be a bit weird. Better not. Um, of course he didn't. <laughs> he thought, I'm going in. Um, he stood on the front row of the red velvet seats And people just had to jump out of the way as he jumped over the backs of chairs onto the next row behind, the next row behind, the next row behind. And it was like the parting of the seas. People just fled because they're like, oh, my God, he's coming for someone and it better not be me. So people just abandoned ship as we sat there in the back row going, oh, God, oh, God, it's us. Oh, God, it's us. (laughs) Frozen in fear. And he reached our row and he stood astride my mother so that his crotch region was in direct line with her face he wore a motorcycle helmet (laughs) and nothing else nothing else he'd stripped down to everything the pants were ripped off as he stood above my mum because we were thinking oh it's all right he's still got at least he's got underwear on they were gone he stripped them down she screamed And he started kind of this thrusting movement into her face and she she cried with laughter and she looked at me and I couldn't stop laughing but she said, Sarah, help me, what do I do? And the audience were just cheering and I looked at her and I went, Mum, life's a bitch and then you die. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Sarah Bonetto. Thank you for coming to Spark. Beautiful Sarah, ladies and gentlemen. A few more stories from you guys now. What was your childhood dream? To become a professional footballer. When did it die? When Man United rejected me. But that's quite impressive. Like if you got to the stage, who was it? Did you, did you get that far that you were rejected? Amazing. Buy a drink in the bar later. Finally, what was your childhood dream? To be a marine biologist teaching tricks to friendly local dolphins. (laughs) That's lovely. That's so nice. And when did it die? Other more sinister creatures also live in the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Well done to the people that wrote those fantastic stories. Thank you very much. And well done to our fantastic storytellers as well. Tonight's storytellers have been... Soraya, David, and Sarah, ladies and gentlemen. Your producer was Matt Hill. Ash was on the sound. Um, If you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us at Spark London. If you want to follow us, we're going to the bar downstairs right now. So come join us, talk to the storytellers, buy them a drink, shake their hands. Thank you very much. You've been a beautiful audience. Come back and tell your friends. Thank you very much. Hold up. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.